Making sure a business thrives is challenging, but sometimes the solution can lie right in the numbers. Uh, specifically, 37,000, 25, and 1. Now, these aren't just figures. They're a gateway to more visibility and decisive control in your business. Let's start with 37,000. That's the amount of businesses who've embraced NetSuite by Oracle, the ultimate cloud financial system revolutionizing accounting, financial management, HR, and beyond. And 25? That's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do everything from accelerating financial closures to slashing operational costs. And every business is unique, making yours the one that matters. NetSuite offers tailored solutions to amplify your key performance indicators, all consolidated within one streamlined platform. Ready to optimize? Download NetSuite's coveted KPI checklist, engineered to elevate your performance consistently, absolutely free. Visit netsuite.com slash cbs now. That's netsuite.com slash cbs. Hi, I'm Jane Pauley, and this is our Sunday Morning Extra, a podcast featuring a memorable story from our latest show. It's a conversation that offers insight beyond the broadcast. On this episode, Anthony Mason talks to Harvey Keitel. What was the first show you were in? You remember? I think it was in Cafe La Mama. Cafe La Mama, okay. Um, I played a dog. You played a dog? No lines. The actor is known for his intensity and for turning supporting roles into standout performances. But even with a six-decade career, the former Marine says Hollywood doesn't consider him bankable. Here's Anthony's interview with Harvey Keitel. How did your family feel about you being an actor? <laughs> you knew what the answer to that one was going to be, didn't you? I could guess. Okay, I'll, just, I'll make a long story short. When I said to them, I'm, I'm going to study acting, my father said, summed it up, he said, actor, schmactor. So that's how they felt. Actor, schmactor. <laughs> Right. <laughs> your dad, your dad, your dad sold ha- made hats, right? Yeah. Yeah. A sewing machine operator. Yeah. And did they did they run? Did your parents run a luncheonette or something? Did I read that? Yeah, they owned uh, various luncheonettes in places in Brooklyn. Yeah. I mean, one at a time. Right. They weren't a chain. Right. Did you get uh, to per- Did you get put to work in those ever? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I made the best egg cream in Brooklyn. Did you? Yeah. That's that's a trick. Okay, somebody get the chocolate, and the milk has to be frozen. That's the secret? Yeah. (laughs) To the creamy top. The creamy top. (laughs) So when did you decide you loved acting? Because, I mean, it sounds like it was, this turn you made was pretty unexpected. Well, that's quite a journey, you know. I know you have time for all this, but... I mean, but I'll take my time and you take your time, okay? Yeah, fair enough. Um, uh, well, I wanted to make money. Yeah. Hollywood people, I thought all of them had money. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, when uh, in my acting class, I, after Anthony Menino, I studied with this wonderful, wonderful director. His yeah. name is Michael Kahn. Yeah. He's very well known in the theater world. He runs a theater. I think he runs the theater in Washington, D.C. now. Hmm. Wonderful guy. We were all young at that time, you know. Right. And um, 
uh, this one kid in my acting class, another young black man. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I was living in Brooklyn at the time, still. Um, he said to me, he said to me, uh, Harvey, you have to leave Brooklyn and move to Manhattan if you want to be an actor. Right. You cannot be an actor living in Brooklyn. And I said to him, you don't understand Rufus. Rufus Collins was his name. Yeah. I said, I just want to make money. I don't care about being an actor. So he was fed up with me. Yeah. You know. And um, so I kept studying because I wanted to, I wanted to get good at it. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> eventually, in years to come, years that came, I... I understood it wasn't just to make money. Yeah. Some part of you connected to it. Yeah. What was that? Acting is doing things truthfully with a purpose. It was that purpose, I suppose, that sunk in. In your case, what was that purpose, though? Awareness. Mm-hmm. Awareness. And... Um, Having lived a life that wasn't very creative, mm-hmm. except for the part of the Marines, yeah. um, <clears throat> growing up in Brooklyn, and uh, uh, there was no real appreciation for the arts. My family, they were working class people, you know, yeah. um, uh, uh, lower working class people. And um, so I was, never int- I was never introduced to art yeah. of any kind. It's interesting to me that you describe being the Marines as creative. <laughs> well, you've never been on Paris Island. You have to get real creative there. <laughs> or else you're going to suffer. <laughs> That's an interesting way of using the word creative. I like it. Well, I'll tell you why. I mean, all, all joking aside, um, <clears throat> I learned my first lesson about mythology, I'll classify it that way, um, about a sense of truth. Yeah. In the Marine Corps, during a night combat training class, uh-huh. I was out there in boondocks with a couple of hundred other recruits on Paris Island. You couldn't see a hand in front of your face. Yeah. It's a night combat thing. Bright moon. And all of a sudden, a voice yells out, you're all afraid of the dark. Booms out across this field. And, and I got scared because I was scared. Yeah. Anyway, I said, how the hell did somebody know I was scared? Yeah. I was trying to hide it. No one could see me. I couldn't see them. Um, and uh, we looked across the field there, and it was a silhouette on like a box. And we could see the silhouette only. And this young Marine instructor said something like this, I'm paraphrasing. You're, you're afraid of the dark. We're all afraid of what we don't know. But we're going to teach you to live in the dark so that you will no longer be afraid. Mm-hmm. That, for me, was the first I heard about being so honest about what you're feeling 
like fear. Yeah. Not hiding it. It was an important lesson to learn. It's interesting to me because a lot of the parts you play are about the light and the dark in people and the battle that goes on there. <laughs> well, I just told you. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's the, that's the, that night that young Marine opened up that door of fear and my awareness mm -hmm. that I was trying to hide. Yeah. And, um, that became part of my exploration of being right. on the planet and all the work I did after the Marines. When I got bored being a court sonographer and went to the theater and met all these wonderful young people thinking, coming from good educations. Mm -hmm. you, had a, you had a pretty nasty stutter as a kid. Yeah. You can hear it now a little bit. I don't, actually. I mean... You feel like you well, then, then I'm doing a good job hiding. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and how did uh, so? How did you deal that with that as it a kid? It was terrible. It was. It was awful. Yeah, you know, kids make fun of you. Your friends make fun of you. Yeah, in a very natural way. We're all kids, but sure. it, was, it was it was terrible. And uh, I always wished there was something I could come up with that could help heal um, young people that do have a bad stutter. Yeah. And uh, I think about it um, constantly. And the only thing I've ever been able to come up with was awareness. Mm -hmm. Awareness, trying to become aware in the literature, in the mm -hmm. arts. Awareness might help them. How did you conquer it? I studied in the Marine Corps, not as badly as I did as, as a child. Mm -hmm. And um, I just studied at times. As a child, I studied all the time. Yeah. And the Marines just rarely, but there was no one way yeah. I conquered it. It was just what I'm saying now, the best advice I, c I could give mm -hmm. as a result of my experience is awareness. Yeah. Of yourself. Yeah. My stepfather had it, and he, I mean, it sort yeah. of, it, it sort of slowly went away. Yeah, well, I don't know what his, his experience was, but yeah. mine slowly went away. If uh, 20, 25 years, yeah. slowly going away. Yeah. And painfully so. Yeah. Did you have it when you started acting, too? Well... I never studied acting. Yeah. But, no, sort of like you hear me now. Yeah. It's Interesting. Um, no, it never interfered with acting. It didn't? No, no, no. Um, talk to me a little bit about Taxi Driver. Yeah. Hmm. And that part. Well, um, Marty had uh, uh, um, wanted me to play the campaign worker in it that Albert Brooks played. Yeah. And uh, I said, let me play the pimp. And he said, 
pimp. The pimp has three lines. Yeah. I said, let me play the pimp. Why? Because when I, I was living in Hell's Kitchen at the time. Yeah. So I used to, I used to see all, see all the pimps along, uh, uh-huh. along there. Anyway, and uh, so Marty said okay, and I uh, I found a guy. Uh, well, I was trying to find someone who knew something about being a pimp. Yeah. Which I knew nothing about, and uh, I remember I approached. Oh, at that time, I was doing Death of a Salesman at Circle and Square Theater. Wow. That George Scott had directed with, uh, oh, what's her name, a wonderful actress, uh, Harvey. She did The Men with Marlon Brando, Teresa Russell, Teresa okay. Wright. Teresa Wright, yeah. Um, and I went over to this one uh, uh, prostitute there. And uh, before I, was, uh, I went in, into the theater, I said, can I ask you a question? Can I talk to you for a second? She said, what do you want? She's dressed, you know, for, for trade. I said, well, that's my name on that card over there. You know, I showed her the card outside the theater. And I said, I'm doing a movie, and I'm playing a pimp in the movie. Now, this girl is standing there looking at me like this, you know, and I'm trying to... I said, and I'm playing a pimp, and I don't know anything about being a pimp. Would you talk to me about it? And she looked at me and said, get out of here, are you crazy? That was it. (laughs) I said, okay, okay. <laughs> and uh, then I found a guy. Yeah. I f- found a guy, this, uh, this guy, and uh, I took him to the actor's studio. Yeah. Not the sessions. I snuck him in because I wanted to use rehearsal studios downstairs. Yeah. And for about two weeks, we improvised the scenes that were not written right. in Taxi Driver. I'd play the girl, and he'd improvise w- w- with me going yeah. to work. And then I began playing him, and he played the girl. Yeah. And after those two weeks, also I did something really silly in those two weeks. He was taking me to meet some people that were, you know, not doing legal things. And I wired myself. You To record it? Yeah. I wired myself. I sat, I, I sat in my little place, middle room, and I taped myself, tape. Because I said, they, they cannot see you, Harvey. You cannot get caught. I had tape all over me. I mean, like I was tape man, you know. Yeah. And Mar- I said to him, I have to tell you this, you know. I'm wired. He said, what? Jeez. I said, I taped myself so I could record it. He said, are you f***ing nuts? <laughs> You're going to get us killed. Yes. Take that tape off. I had to button my shirt and take all the tape off. You know? What were you hoping to get? Authenticity. <laughs> <laughs> You t- in 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 Pulp Fiction, you take another pretty small role, but make it very. There are memorable. no small parts; only small actors. Okay. Konstantin Stanislavski. <laughs> so that never that never seems to dissuade you. You see something in those small roles. Alice doesn't live here anymore. Uh, Pulp Fiction. Taxi Driver. I had three lines to begin with. Yeah. I had good training. I was lucky to meet the greats. Mm-hmm. A lot to be said about them. A lot to be said about? About them. Yes. Those magnificent teachers, the training that's available. Yeah. 
You went, you went through a period in the 80s that a lot of people look at as kind of a, a low period for you in terms of roles, in this country at least. I didn't want to work with those stupid lowlifes. <laughs> no, yeah, I did. did I mean, go, did it... go through a period, yeah. I went to Europe. Yeah. It seemed that the Europeans wanted to work with me. Yeah. Bertrand Tavernier. Yes. Whom I, I'm, I'm proud to say I'm introducing next week in Morocco oh, at the wow. film festival. They're honoring him for a lifetime career. Yeah. So, um, uh, an actress friend of mine said, let's go see this movie, The Clockmaker of St. Paul. Yeah. Um, a French director. We went, and I saw this magnificent cinema that I wasn't aware of, and I said, that's the kind of director I want to work with. Yeah. About within a month's time, I read in an article, someone pointed out to me, Bertrand Tavernier said, Harvey Keitel's the kind of actor I want to work with. And Bertrand Tavernier and I got together on this movie, Death Watch. Yeah. With Romy Schneider. Yeah. I love Romy Schneider. Yeah. yeah. She was great. She was great. They're going to show it at, Mar- at the Moroccan Film Festival now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Hollywood didn't seem interested in me. And the Europeans did. Mm-hmm. Lena Verdmuller, Jane Campion, um, uh, uh, oh gosh, Dario Argento, and... Uh, Others, I can't think now. Yeah. Well, what do, what I mean, do you what do you think at that period? Right. There were others afterwards. Sure. Why do you think at that point in time Hollywood seemed to lose interest in you? Gosh, if I knew that, I'd bottle it and sell it. I yeah. mean, I think they've lost interest now. You do. I do. Because everything is. Box office. Yeah. Not that things don't have to be box office. They have to be. Yeah. But not everything. Right. And right now it's everything. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't been fortunate enough to make it to the top tier at the box office, then you have not made it to the place they call bankable, mm-hmm. where you can get a film done. Right. And that leaves you to struggle along with the rest of us mm-hmm. to get films done. Yeah. Do you, um, do you share Marty's feelings about Marvel films? Um, I, I read what he wrote about Marvel films, and, uh, I mean, listen, there isn't a person that's brighter, more passionate about film than Marty Scorsese. Mm-hmm smart about it. Um, I feel the way he does about what, I, what I'm trying to express now yeah. by Hollywood's um, uh, penchant, desire, um, um, anthem. Are they bankable? Are they bankable? Are they bankable? To be bankable is yes. essentially to be a star, yes? Yeah. Do you, do you not think of yourself as a star? I think of myself as a former Marine who got lucky. (laughs) Really lucky. Because where I came from, um, with no education, so to speak, there wasn't that encouragement to go toward the arts. Because it was absent, you know. It's like a vacuum. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So I'm just grateful for the luck I've had, the people I met, including the Marines. Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here, you're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the outer lands. There's no crime in Pura, no murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us. In Pura, we promise to keep you safe. They killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. Here, in Pura. The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now, ad-free, on Wondery+. Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus.